Hey guys. Hey, uh, welcome to Veritas. It is uh, really great to see so many new faces, so many old faces. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited. Our staff team's excited to kick off a new semester, a new year of Veritas. If you're wondering who I am, my name's Kyle Richter. I'm uh, one of the pastors at The Crossing. It's a church uh, that Veritas is connected to in town. I help lead our college ministry here. Uh, believe it or not, I've been on staff for almost 10 years. I'm old enough to be married. Uh, this is a picture of my family, I think, maybe. You can't see them. Uh, but I'm married to Noelle. She's also a part-time staff with Veritas. And we have three kiddos, Lily, Lucy, and Jack. Uh, that picture is taken this summer. We got to spend the summer in Japan with a group of uh, Veritas students. So um, that's enough about me. Uh, yeah, I want to start tonight, I want to start by sharing a story that I, that I came across recently. It goes like this. The late 1800s, a guy named George DeLong, he was a lieutenant. Lieutenant George DeLong and 28 crew members set out on a ship, the USS Jeanette. And they set out in hopes of doing something that nobody in history had ever done before, making it to the North Pole. You see, mainstream map makers of the day knew that the North Pole existed, but nobody had been there, and so nobody actually knew what it was like. One of the leading theories of the day was that rather than the North Pole being a polar ice cap, it was, it was actually a vast, warm, open polar sea. And supposedly, this warm polar sea was said to be abundant with marine life and possibly even a lost civilization of some sort. I'm not kidding. That's what they thought. You see, experts and scientists of the day were, were so convinced that this warm polar sea existed that, that cartographers routinely put it on maps as if it were a fact. Here's a picture of, of one of those maps from the 1800. You can see right in the center their idea of what that polar sea looked like. You see, they had these maps, but, but nobody had actually seen the polar sea before. And the reason nobody had seen it is because every single previous expedition to the North Pole ran into a problem, the same problem, and that problem was ice. Shocker. Now, you'd think common sense might kick in, right? You'd think common sense would kick in, and if expedition after expedition after expedition ran into ice, that these scientists, these experts, these map makers, they would, they would bail on this, this warm sea theory at the North Pole. It's not what they did. Instead, they just tweaked their original idea slightly, and this is what they came up with. This, this idea, this, this vast ice field that everybody was running into, well, it was nothing more than, than a circular barrier around that warm sea. And within this barrier, they thought that there must be a, a thing they called a, a thermometric gateway, a gap in the ice that served as, as a natural portal of some kind. And so the key, of course, was, was finding it. But if you found this gateway, if you found this portal, and you went through it, you'd be smooth sailing on the warm Caribbean seas of the North Pole. See, George DeLong was a man that wanted to find that gateway. And so in 1879, he and his crew set out in hopes of doing something great, of making history, being the first ever to reach the North Pole. But you see, quickly those hopes those dreams, they quickly faded. See, not long after DeLong and his crew had begun their journey, they too ran into the same problem that everyone before them had run into, ice. 
their ship got trapped, gridlocked in ice that never seemed to end, and eventually that ice did more than trap them. It, it crushed the whole of their ship, and before long, the ship sank in the cold Arctic waters. Somehow, as the boat was sinking, part of the crew managed to escape. Now, facing frigid temperatures, few resources, they had no choice but to start walking. And so that's exactly what they did. They began trekking through the wind and the snow and the ice. And after a long time, physically exhausted, hungry, no doubt a little numb, maybe even frostbitten, they eventually made it to Siberia where they survived. Sadly, however, George DeLong and the rest of the crew didn't make it. Before DeLong died, he wrote these words. He said this. He says, I pronounce a thermometric gateway to the North Pole, a delusion and a snare. In other words, the geographers, the scientists, the cartographers, every single one of them had been wrong. They were wrong. And because of that, DeLong's story, the crew's story, it ends not in them making history, but in tragedy. Now, maybe to you it seems obvious, but what went wrong? What was their problem? Was it ice? A bad boat? Frigid temperatures? Lack of food? Resources? Sure. To a certain extent, all of those things. But those things weren't their main problem. No, DeLong's main problem was that he had a bad map. You see, the map that he and his crew were following was wrong. Disastrously so. Bad maps, they get you lost, don't they? They lead you astray. In DeLong's case, a bad map can even get you killed. Almost 30 years after George DeLong and those crew members died, a man by the name of Frederick Cook and two Inuit men whose names I'm not going to try to pronounce became the first men to ever reach the North Pole. How'd they do it? You see, they weren't stronger. They weren't more courageous. They didn't have better weather. No, they had a better map. They knew that the open polar sea wasn't real, and so they didn't bother with trying to sail through this mysterious thermometric gateway. Instead, they knew exactly how they needed to prepare. And so they made the trek across the ice, the long journey on foot, and eventually made it to their destination. Why do I share these stories? I'm not a North Pole junkie. I don't particularly care about those kinds of things. I'm not mad about it. I share these stories because I think like these expeditions to the North Pole, all of our lives, they're a journey of sorts, a journey with a beginning and an end, a journey that's headed somewhere. And so if our lives are a journey of sorts, having the right map is incredibly important as we navigate our lives. It's the first week of a new school year. For some of you, you're just beginning college. For others of you, you're nearing the end. For a lot of you in here, you're somewhere in between. Regardless of where you're at, though, where are you headed? What's your North Pole? What map are you using to get there? You see, those are big questions, I know. Big questions. But college is an incredible time to explore these questions, these ideas. It's an incredible time to explore them together. 
And that's what we here at Veritas, that's what we love to do. Our staff team loves to come alongside college students as you guys wrestle with the important questions of life. Where are we going? How do we get there? You see, we know that in today's world, everyone has a map to offer, a map that promises us to get us where we want to be. Think about TV, music, classes, friends, parents, pop culture. See, each of those things and more, they're, they're constantly selling us their version of a map, their take on where to go and how to get there. Follow this map and you'll be happy. Follow this map and you'll be successful. Follow this map and you'll have the life that you've always wanted. Follow this map and you will matter. See, one of the reasons I think that, that we choose to follow certain maps over other maps is that we think that they're going to make us matter. We all long to matter, don't we? Deep down, there's a part of us, something inside of us that wants to be important, that wants to feel significant, that wants to be wanted. That longing reminds me of a story from the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke is the third book of the New Testament. It's, it starts about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. If you brought your Bible tonight, flip to chapter five of Luke's Gospel. If not, the verses are going to be behind me on the screen. We'll pick up the story in verse 12 of chapter 5. This is what it says. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So let's stop there for a second. This guy, we don't, we don't know his name, but we see that he comes to Jesus. And, and it seems like he's pretty desperate. Why is he desperate? Well, Luke tells us that this man, this particular man, has leprosy. Leprosy nowadays, it means a, a specific disease, but in ancient time, that word leprosy in the Bible, it's, it's used as kind of a generic way of, of saying that someone had some sort of severe skin condition. And whatever that skin condition was, a lot of times it was highly contagious. It was extremely painful. But having leprosy, it wasn't just a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem as well. See, if you were a Jew and you had leprosy, you were considered impure. You were considered ceremonially unclean. Now, I'll be honest, I don't have time to get into the specifics of what that all means. And if you're curious, come talk to me after. I'd love to do so. But, but suffice it to say this. Being ceremonially unclean, for a Jew, it meant that you weren't allowed to worship God in the temple. It meant that you weren't allowed to come in contact with others so that your impurity, your uncleanliness wouldn't spread to them. See, having leprosy was a really big deal. So much so that, that there are a couple chapters in the Old Testament devoted specifically to leprosy. This is, this is what the book of Leviticus has to say. Leviticus is... Is the third book of the Old Testament. It's written by a guy named Moses. Here's what he says. This is Leviticus 13, 45 through 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. And he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, 
unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Think for a second what that would have been like to live in that kind of isolation. Imagine the embarrassment. Imagine the shame, the loneliness. See, to every person in that society, that leper, he didn't matter. He didn't matter. He wasn't important. He wasn't significant. What if you showed up for your first class this semester? I don't know if it was yesterday, today, maybe tomorrow. What if you showed up to that first class and every single person in your class avoided you? What if you went the entire semester? What if you went the entire year? What if you went all of college and not one single person ever sat by you in class? Not one single person ever talked to you. Not one single person ever wanted you. How would that make you feel? See, we, we all long to matter, don't we? Every single one of us, we want acceptance. We want approval. We want affirmation from our peers. We want to be seen. We want others to acknowledge us. Nobody wants to feel invisible. We all long to know, to feel like we matter to someone. And hear me say this, that longing, that's not wrong. It's not bad for you to want to matter, it's not. But here's the lie that our culture often tells us about mattering. It says that in order to matter, you and I, we have to do something great. In order to matter, you and I, we have to be something great. Otherwise, we're not enough. We're not enough. You see, this idea, it's all over American culture if we look closely. I'm sure some of you, some of you have seen this before, but, but I want to take a second. I want to watch a clip from the 2016 Golden Globes. It's, it's a speech by, by Jim Carrey. I, I'm sure some of you have seen it, but if you haven't, even if you have, catch what he says. Catch what he says. Let's watch it. Thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir. I dream about being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then I would be enough. It would finally be true. And I could stop this, this terrible search. For what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. But these are important, these awards. I don't want you to think that just because if you blew up our solar system alone, you wouldn't be able to find us or any of human history with the naked eye. But from our perspective, this is huge. 
One more time, here are the nominees for Best Motion Picture Comedy. This is huge. See, I, I love this clip because I love sarcasm. No, because, because I think Jim Carrey gets it. I think he really gets it. He understands that our culture loves to sell us the map that says we have to do great things in order to matter. The map that says that a mundane life is boring. The map that says being ordinary is insignificant. The map that says we constantly have to achieve to be enough. See, we've got to do something. We've got to be something great. We've got to prove to people that we matter. Is that the map that you're following? I don't know. Maybe, maybe you are and you don't even realize it. See, I'll be the first to admit, I follow that map all the time. I follow it all the time. It might sound silly, but, but recently I've, I've been wrestling with, with something that, that I realize is, is one of the biggest ways that I try and prove to people I'm worth it, and it's, it's how I use social media. See, at best, I'm a mediocre photographer. Stress on the mediocre. Seriously, seriously. But given the ways that I obsess over getting the right shot, the perfect angle, and finding the cool but not so obvious filter, that's my wife. You'd think that I'm an aspiring pro. I'm not. And once I have that perfect shot, well, then comes the time where I carefully deliberate how do I combine both wit and humor perfectly. And then, oh, yeah, the key is to doing all of this while somehow making it look like I'm not trying very hard. Don't even ask me how long that takes. It's embarrassing. See, according to my Instagram, if you looked at my Instagram, you would assume that my entire life could be summed up by the food that I love to eat, the places that my wife and I love to travel, and the super fun things that I do with my adorably cute kids who never get into trouble. It's true. But what you don't see are the difficult moments of being married. What you don't see are, are my impatience when things don't go my way. What you don't see are my fears, my insecurities, my sin. No, in, instead, I, I post the best moments of my life because I think those are the moments that somehow prove that I matter to people. And so I post things that make me look a particular way. And often, I hope, that's a good way. And you know what I do immediately after I hit post? Like literally immediately I start seeing, did I get a like yet? Did anyone comment? Why do I do that? Because the second that people start liking it, the second that people start commenting, it lets me know that somebody out there cares. An author I've been reading recently, he sums up what I'm saying like this. He says, we no longer are seen doing something. We're doing something to be seen. See, if I'm honest, that's for sure true of me sometimes. Doing something to be seen. We all want to be seen in a particular way, don't we? Maybe it's relevant, significant, someone that matters. Nobody wants to feel like that leper did in Luke chapter 5. 
And so we believe the cultural lie. We buy the map and we start going to the North Pole. But here's the deal. There's a problem with that. And the problem is that our culture's map is wrong. It's a bad map. And whether or not we realize it, that map is going to lead us astray. Surely there's a better way, right? Surely there's a better map for our lives. Let's go back to that story of the leper. Pick up again in in verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. See, to every important person of that day, that leper was nothing more than a problem. An outcast in society that nobody cared about. Someone in the eyes of the world that didn't matter. And when nobody else would even consider coming close, Jesus reaches out his hand and embraces him. And he says, I will be clean. Why? Why would Jesus do that? I think Jesus did that because to Jesus, that man mattered. And he mattered because he's a human being created in the image of God. And catch this. One of the things that I find interesting about Jesus is that Jesus has the audacity to think that he had something better to offer that guy that day. That he had a better map for that guy's life. And so 2,000 some odd years ago on a presumably normal day in an ordinary place and time, it was an encounter with Jesus that radically changed that leper's life. It changed him. It set his path on a completely different journey. I'm not sure what brought you here tonight. I'm glad you're here. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever had an encounter with Jesus? Have you met Jesus before? Not the Jesus that our culture makes him out to be. Not the guy that that entertainment makes Jesus out to be. No. The Jesus of the Bible. Have you met that Jesus before? You see, that leper, he sought Jesus out. Are you willing to seek out Jesus? Are you willing to do the same in your life, to let Jesus in, to let Jesus give you his better map for your life? See, the thing that I love about this story is that to Jesus, that guy that didn't matter to everybody else, he mattered. The same is true for you and I. To to Jesus, you matter, every single one of you. Now, I get it. We're we're all in process, what we think about Jesus, what we think about his claims. I understand that. But I have to say this. You know, apart from Jesus reaching into the messiness of our lives, apart from Jesus speaking into the places that hurt the most, the places that, if we're honest, 
They make us feel lonely. The places that, if we're honest, they bring us shame. The places that make us uncomfortable. The places that oftentimes reveal our sin. See, apart from letting Jesus into our lives, we can't possibly see or experience the better map that Jesus has to offer. And that better map, that better map cost Jesus his life. See, I want you to hear me when I say this. You don't have to do anything great in life to matter. You don't have to do anything great in life to matter. And that's precisely because Jesus already has for you. You see, Jesus wants you so much that he was willing to give up his life to rescue you. Jesus rescues us so that his better map, not fake cultural maps, so that his better map can define our destination, where we're headed, our goals, our purpose in life. Jesus rescues us so that his better map, it it can define our path, our story, our character, who we are, our life together. But Jesus doesn't just rescue us for our own sakes. No, Jesus rescues us so that we can be a part of the bigger, better story that he's telling in the world. A story that recognizes that things right now aren't the way that they're supposed to be. A story that tells us our world is broken, that we are broken. A story that points us to the day when Jesus returns to make all wrongs right. To the day when all evil and all injustice is gone. To the day when heaven and earth are united. Jesus' story, it points us to the day when all of creation will be transformed. When all humanity can rule together in the love and the power of God. See, Jesus rescues us. He gives us a better map so that we can be a part of something bigger, something better. 2015, one of the most anticipated movies of the last few years was released, The Force Awakens, Star Wars Episode 7. If you didn't see it, even if you saw it, you know it was a huge film, shattered all sorts of box office records. If you saw it, Think about it for a second. Do you guys remember the role that Daniel Craig played? You know, the guy that's been Bond for like the last decade. Do you remember the role that he played in The Force Awakens? Probably not, right? Because you never actually saw him in that movie. He was for sure in it, though. He was a stormtrooper. This is him right here in this scene. You see, the interesting thing about Daniel Craig is that he never took his helmet off in the film. He wasn't listed in the credits. His name wasn't on any of the promotional posters for the movie. Most people, myself included, had no idea he was in the film. Why'd he do it? Why would an actor with with his fame and his credibility, why, why play such a small role in a film that nobody even knew about? Because the story was so big. It was so important in film history that he wanted to be a part of it. And the cool thing is he wasn't the only one. Several other actors and actresses, they did the exact same thing. They wanted to be a part of the story. As the music team comes up, let me close with this thought. 
Jesus, Jesus is telling an incredible story in the world. He's telling an incredible story here on campus. And he's inviting every single one of us here to be a part of it. To be a part of his mission to bring blessing and restoration to a broken world. See, if you follow Jesus' map, that's where it's going. That's where it's leading you. We matter to Jesus because of the part that we get to play in his better story. What kind of map are you following in life? Do you know? What kind of map are you following? You see, it took a literal shipwreck for George DeLong and his crew to realize that they had a bad map. What's it going to take in your life? What's it going to take this year, this semester, this week to convince you that you need a better map? Don't you want to live for something bigger? Don't you want to live for something better? Wouldn't that be great? That's what Jesus has to offer.